0: Okay let's start with the question, you're one of the world's foremost property and workplace experts and you are about to publish a major and long planned book on workplace transformation when suddenly the most significant disruptive force for change in hundreds of years strikes the world of work. So how do you respond? That was the challenge facing Chris Kane. Chris is one of the best known figures in corporate real estate worldwide a qualified surveyor, but one with an MBA and so a different perspective on things. He is one of the people who drove transformational change at blue chip organisations like Walt Disney and the BBC. Chris has tracked the changing workplace for three decades, but he has never seen anything like this. His response to the transformation of working lives and the way we design and manage workplaces is the subject of our conversation today. We consider the things we know and don't know about it all, and how the pandemic has made the lessons learned over many years even more relevant. Enjoy. My name is Mark Eltringham and this is the Workplace Insight Podcast. Hi, Chris. Thanks for joining us today. Um, Now, I'm going to make this my obvious question, and I think it's something that I'm going to keep on asking people who've written books, but why have you written a book?
1: That's a very, uh, I suppose, interesting question. And the, I guess in a simple um, sort of comment, I started the most amazing journey of my life at the BBC. And I met a fellow Irishman who was director of BBC Nations and Regions. And he said to me, you're going to have a very interesting job here. You should keep a journal. So I have 28 uh, black and red spiral bound notebooks of my journey. And my ambition leaving the BBC was to share some of my learning. But then when I started thinking about it and also working with people like Barry Varco and helping them join the dots between the client and his supply chain, it really dawned on me that we operate in a very fragmented and disconnected system. And then I learned that actually uh, the providers of real estate don't understand who their customers are. And then m- more so, the consumers of real estate have a very poor perception of, particularly property developers, pension companies and the like, and you know we're not even going to go into the estate agency side of things. So uh, I decided I would write a book to help the world of business understand a bit better our industry warts and all but also to help them understand that if you do have a productive workplace you're more than likely to have a productive workforce so not only can you have an efficient building but you can also look at the effectiveness side of the equation okay
0: i mean the next question is also obvious um how do you think the book has been reshaped over the past six months well, I, I, counted,
1: I counted this up because I expected this question. And um, I have a good friend who's a professor of uh, change and marketing at IMD, Sean Meehan, and he kindly reviewed the book. And he said in his remarks that um, I was remarkably prescient in my comments because I only changed one paragraph and added nine sentences. To the whole book? The whole book. And the what uh, I, I was thinking about was capturing what was already a, a hidden paradigm shift of the last 10, 15 years, which has been espoused by you and your magazine, by Neil Usher, by a whole host of other people. But we're in a very small minority that really get this connecting people and place and, and how uh, you know I mean a better working environment, a human focused working environment, underpinned by good design and good thought as opposed to anonymous bureau landshire type buildings uh, th- everybody wins out of it so the um the thing is that um i haven't changed very much at all I think um what that this dreadful pandemic has brought about is a, a massive accelerant to what was already beginning to build momentum anyway. This I describe it as the shift from fixed to fluid, where the notion of um, people going to a place to do their work Monday to Friday, nine to five, has now been uh, completely and utterly dissected, for want of a better word. And people are thinking differently. And, you know, I mean, I believe that this covid-19 crisis has it marks the end of an era for the old ways of office working for how we use office buildings and how how workforces are treated and i think now people are seeing not only enterprises but office people themselves workers whatever label you want to put on them are saying that but it is possible to work differently, and I can get a a better work-life balance, and I can be better connected with my children, and I can add value to the local community, and still be productive. And I was very fortunate that my old boss at the BBC, who was just up until recently the CEO of the New York Times, he agreed to write the forward, and he talks about that as you may have read that as a leader, he was convinced the BBC and he applied all the stuff we did together at the BBC for the New York Times. And uh, he talks about how much we can get done without offices. And, you know, uh, as I was asking people when I interviewed them for the book, you know, what is the purpose of the office? The virus has now brought that into mainstream Debate. You look at all the, the media reaction to this um, working from home or not. Uh, we're asking fundamental questions about how, me, how we work. This is not just the debate about the future of offices. This is a debate about uh, enterprises, how they work, and a bit about society as well.
0: Uh, do you think the, the increase in the number of voices has helped the conversation or hindered it?
1: I think um, my big fear at the moment is the conversation isn't broad enough. It's still stuck in a bipolar view that it's either or. And even the language we use, I think we're all agreed that, you know, prior to this, the phrase hot desking was a horrific label in its own right. I would also then add to to it uh, remote working. What does remote imply as a word that people are cast aside from the center? You don't work remotely. Yeah, You can work anywhere, any place, any time. It's a matter of how you do things. And how many people are now asking themselves the question, why would I go to an office in any city centre uh, just to send emails? And that's, that's the, the crux of this. Well, I mean, that, that
0: was kind of I mean, this is my my perception is that this has been the direction of travel, and I see, you know, like you say, hot desking. I I thought we discarded that term in about two thousand, you know, and I kind of think, you know, when I look at um, uh, the, the terminology of hybrid working, which is or yep, blended yep. working, you know, which is is crept in. They're really just talking about flexible working, aren't they? Yes. You,
1: yes. You, and you, we need to we need to look at our um, I suppose. Our vernacular, for want of a better phrase, to see really how we um, better express these emerging forms of distributed working, and it's no longer a case of you know either or. There, are, there's always been a multiplicity of it, and I talk in the in the um, the book about um, learning about omni-channel marketing and the customer journey um, that retailers had to understand uh, because it, the, that journey changed from being single dimension. You go to buy something in a shop or a, a shopping uh, center. Now you can buy online, you can buy in a variety of different ways and then you have the Amazon factor. Well, I think that same mindset is now a, probably applicable in some way, shape or form to how people do white colour work. And, you know, therein lies another uh, aspect that, People talk about office work as the only way of working. We need to remember that there's thousands of people involved in servicing not only offices, but um, other sort of functions. And then there's the whole manufacturing and logistics side of things as well. And that's where I think we really need to understand all of this as an ecosystem and see how everything joins up together.
0: Yeah. because I, I, I mean, my, my, my perception as well is that, you know, it's not just about the jobs that people but do, but you know other factors as well that don't get talked about enough. Uh, geography, you know, often the you know, and this is perhaps understandable. The the conversation seems to be London focused, especially when they're talking about the the problems with the commute and tall buildings as well. There are problems related to people's age and and um, life stage. There are problems related to the kind of work they do. Well, I, I shouldn't say problems, actually, that's probably the wrong word. But, you know, there, there, there are all of these issues around these, these points that, that don't get talked about enough. And like you say, I think the conversation needs to be much broader and accept that actually, you know, what, that particular part of the, the, the conversation is just about those people in that type of work and in that geographical location. But it, that's, that may not be relevant to everybody.
1: And I think that's right. It's about, you know, we we learned this in, uh, you know, doing the project, uh, moving to Media City. How do you um, make Manchester uh, more attractive to people anchored in the metropolis that is London? And, you know, Britain is a very vibrant country. If you look at it in the round, there's lots of fascinating places to visit but also there's some big cities. And bear in mind that pre-pandemic, I believe the trend was that uh, young people in particular weren't moving to London, as has been traditionally the case. People, they've been voting with their feet and going elsewhere in Britain, if memory serves me correctly. Will we see an even bigger shift to not a massive decentralisation, but a more, you know, I, I think this word distributed, Uh, And maybe it's networked. uh, And this is where the vernacular is is so important. Uh, Maybe the the Neil Usher's of this world who are far better wordsmiths uh, than I can can come up with. And maybe that's what his new book is all about coming out, I think, in a couple of months' time. But we we have to look at this and be able to explain it, not only within our own community, within the real estate, construction, facilities, workplace world, but we've made it damn poor job of explaining how we fit into the overall ecosystem and you know we've never had to because you know one of the things that um we, we we've learned is that there's this, there's this big um disconnect between the supplier of the built environment and the consumer yeah do you
0: think what's happened has exposed that as a fault line
1: well uh i think it's a beginning to emerge i think the penny has dropped that you know what many people see as a b2b business is actually now shifting very quickly to a b2b to b2c business because the bottom line is choice and whereas most property companies understandably will say well my tenants can't even get their head around the word customer will always want space true the the new dynamic uh, which was coming anyway was that in the war for talent the worker has more power, a bit like the shift in the um, in what happened in consumer goods, when the Procter and Gamble's and the Unilevers realised that their power as a producer was lost with the arrival of social media and the fact that um, a negative social media campaign could kill a brand, uh, and that seems perversely to be the way real estate is moving now that if an enterprise wants to attract the best possible talent and to be the employer of choice, then they're going to have to take into account where people want to work and the places they'll want to work and whether they're well-serviced, whether they meet, particularly well-being, we're going to have to really get serious about well-being now and not pay lip service to it. But the fundamental is that if you're a CEO, and I've been talking to one or two of them saying, well, if I can't get my workforce to come work in a location, why would I have space there? So that means that after many decades of sitting back and earning good money and the best of best of congratulations to everybody who's done all of that it's changing now and you know even you look at the fundamentals of some of existing leases and stuff if some of these big organizations happen to you know um fall foul of the economic turbulence which is coming you know their leases are not going to be worth much so you know i would say it's a it's a it's very important for many people on the supply side to you know as I said in the book to um come and uh, you know rethink things strategically because you know the, the, this shift to a bigger proportion of flex space is going to be beyond the thirty percent in ten years forecast. It's going to be forty to fifty percent within two to three years,
0: yeah. So I think I, I have seen the conversation emerge, though. I mean, over the last maybe three or four years, that you know you have got people in the property sector are talking more and more about um, people in terms of their well-being and their experience of work. And you know, when I've been to events, say Cornet or something like that, and watched them, you can see they, they they're grappling with it a little bit. You know, they, they they're having to adjust.
1: Well, it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult concept. I look at my career. I entered surveying in the eighties and I thought once I got my RICS and did my CPD, I was done. And some people said uh, I was very foolish to go off and do a project management degree. And then working with corporates in the early nineties and learning all about sort of tenant rep, I realized that there was a whole big world out there which I was curious about. So I went and did an MBA and the that opened my eyes, and the you know what really opened my eyes and was very influential in how I shaped the book was I went back to school at the London Business School in just before I left the Beeb, and I was the only property, construction, facilities, workplace guy amongst fifty business leaders, and they looked at me as if uh, why was I here, and I heard afterwards that LBS had very few people. <laughs> Like me going to these courses, uh, which said something in its own right, but I made lots of new friends, but I also learned um, some valuable lessons about how business leaders think, and you know business leaders only view the built environment you know and this is eight, ten years ago now on a, on an expense line item of a, of a, of a balance sheet or a profit and loss account, and didn 't see the link of if you have, um, as i was trying to make in the book, this link between people and place, this whole thing of um, we can actually not only be efficient in terms of cost per square foot, but also we can help organizations and society be much more effective in the consumption of the built environment, which not only um, gives us enterprise value, but the potential for yeah. a huge social value.
0: Where I pick up on those points in your book is when you you reference the kind of uh, people who influenced me when I was first starting in the industry. Yeah, you know, notably Charles Handy and Frank Duffy. Because Handy, of course, is writes about organisations, but but you can see the shift in his thinking over the years towards about how. Uh, people fit into the organisation and how they fit into society, and how you know different types of organisations work together. And he goes into the nature of work and stuff like that, doesn't he? And, and yeah, and see the parallels with Duffy's work as well in his creation of of, of the models of, of offices and how.
1: Yeah, and you know, Frank was talking years ago about making sense of place in an increasingly virtual world, if I remember his quote correctly. And I do remember taking him to Los Angeles to show him Disney and him having a literally a heart attack seeing. The world of cubes, fantastically designed building on buildings on the exterior, you know, from the the likes of Geary and whatever. But inside, there were seas of grey cubicles, which were anonymous and and with no life. And you know, little did I realise when I first read the the handy stuff way back in the nineties that I'd have the good fortune of meeting him and realising we were both born in the same county in Ireland. And for him to Spend the time to say, Chris, you've got to look at this in terms of not space, but about how do these workplaces engender creativity? And that was a great inspiration for me. And, you know, he's still going strong at 88 years old and um, he's, um, you know, still been interviewed and challenging people to think holistically rather than in a narrow, narrow sort of uh, paradigm.
0: Yeah. What I, what I got when reading the book is something that I've been grappling with over the last few months as well. It's like I keep on falling back on on these things. And, I, and I, maybe it's to reassure myself about what I know about this, this world. Because the more this goes on, you know, the less I feel like I know about it and what i find is like i'm looking at them and thinking they got all these things absolutely right but there are always factors that they couldn't possibly have known that we're now learning about i think is that is that what you were trying to tease out with the book as well
1: yes uh, the big big thing for all of us i think in our part of the overall ecosystem is how do we figure out the how How do we do things? And I think I wrote in the book about saying, you know, how many leaders ask when they're starting a project, you know, explain to me how you do it. And when they ask questions, the standard response is because that's the way we've always done it. Yeah. And the, but you can't think um, anything else but that unless you have the courage of your convictions and the time to invest in learning and to build different perspectives. You know, I distinctly remember, um, you know, in Disney, being part of real estate. And those people on the other side of the corridor, those facilities and operational people, at one stage, there were certain personalities there who um, said, this is a war. And I couldn't figure this out, because in Europe, where I sort of had control of my little group, Or our little group, should I say, uh, facilities and real estate worked hand in hand, and as did construction. And yet, you know, as I tried to, I I couldn't understand why there was why all these were why these were different. And by asking the question and learning and and understanding, people have different perspectives, which then inform your perceptions of life and your beliefs and how you understand things. And we, we, I think. are actually have a fixation with space and place yeah and, okay. and the the challenge is that cities evolve, and you know lots of people have talked about the the future of cities. well, London is not going to diminish, but it will change you know it will adjust uh, as most. Large um, cities have had to, over the years, when faced with similar challenges. From you know, I mean, and we we don't know because we don't really have a an active reference point for the extent of disruption we're facing. Uh, pe- people are saying, "Oh, it's, it's similar to the global financial crisis." My view is that was a single dimension crisis. We're now in one which has multiple dimensions and it's all happening to everybody at the same time. And that's unprecedented.
0: I I take your point about this. The obsession with place means that the conversation that I think has been, um, about swapping one place for another, it's been dominated by that idea As, as though it's a zero sum game. You can't do both. And and I'm also seeing, you know, when people talk about hybrid working, they're saying things like, oh, it's three days in the office, two at home, or whatever it might be. I think, well, isn't that just another way of fixing a time <laughs> and place of work? And we're actually talking about something different here. Like you say, it's it's more multifaceted than that, isn't it? It's uh, but
1: I I honestly believe it is because uh, what I tried to do in the book was try and tease out all of these dimensions and i put it omni channel but actually it's more omni work because work has been linear and has been process driven it's actually been a you know i mean a, a byproduct of the industrial revolution and we've all been seeing, we've all witnessed this you know you and i are of an age i suspect when we saw the arrival of the fax machine and then the first PCs, and then the blocks of phones to now these massive computing machines we have in the palm of our hand. And what's happened is we've been adding all of this, a bit like banking systems. They started with DOS, and all they've been doing over the years is adding to Band-Aids to the DOS, Um, whereas the new Revoluts and Monzo have started from scratch with different technology. Who's going to win out in the end, I ask myself? And the same can be applied to the, the world of real estate. If we don't think about moving to a very fluid model, the Anthony Slumbers and all the others who've been banging on about space as a service, then I, I think we're, we're doing uh, our respective businesses a disservice. And we're certainly doing a disservice to society. So how do we move the conversation on? <laughs> that's, a, that's the... Um, That's the $60 million question. I think it's about raising awareness and it's about trying to build coalitions across, you know, I've said in the book, not only does the real estate industry need to look at its model, but enterprise needs to look at its support functions and rethink some of those. But also, um, I guess the, I mean, we're in a, we're in a tight spot and, The old adage of necessity is the mother of all invention is we all need to apply our minds together. And this is not a workplace strategy thing, it's not a facilities or a construction or a real estate or a corporate real estate thing. It's everybody, and there needs to be, and it's not just uh, also uh, the world of academia or Harvard or anybody else. Everybody has to really think about how we want to live and how we want to work in a post-pandemic times. You know, we have been moving from analog to digital. Uh, We have been moving from process to to knowledge. Uh, But most important, I think, we've been moved from closed mindsets to more porous mindsets. So we need to engage with the 20-year-olds and see what their views are, uh, but also to see what the silver-haired um, part of our society is thinking, and see can we make uh, sense of what is a completely new paradigm.
0: Okay, on that note, I think that's a perfect place to end. Basically, we're inviting people to in, um, join us in a conversation, aren't we?
1: I think we are, and it's one which uh, will have uh, loads of challenge. Uh, but if you build understanding, and you know, I mean, part of what I try to. explain uh, say in the book was that m- much of what's been holding us back is that we've all got different perspectives and they have to be respected. But if you understand the other person's view, then you can start to move towards um, a-, a common purpose and a common understanding. And, you know, I mean, you will get a, s- a value which is greater than the sum of the parts.
0: Chris, thank you so much.
1: You're very welcome.